Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash Potters in Control. So on Monday, we went a treasure hunting for actual treasure, but today we're hunting for the truth about Jesus. As Tom Hanks becomes sexy symbologist Robert Langdon in 2009's The Da Vinci Code. We are in the middle of a war to protect a secret so powerful that if revealed, it would devastate the very foundations of mankind. Professor Langdon, the chief of police would like your assistance. I'm not sure how much help I'm going to be here. He did this himself in his own blood. Is it possible? This is a message your grandfather left you. He left us. Might be some kind of anagram. Can you break it? Demons, omens, codes, monks. Da Vinci. Professor Langdon, you're in grave danger. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? National Treasure or The Da Vinci Code? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. A cryptex. They are used to keep secrets. It's Da Vinci's design. You write the information on a papyrus skull, which is then rolled around a thin glass vial of vinegar. If you force it open, the vial breaks. Vinegar dissolves papyrus, and your secret is lost forever. The only way to access the information is to spell out the password with these five dials, each with 26 letters. That's 12 million possibilities. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. Oh, it's our penultimate Clash Potters in control pairing, part two, <clears throat> aka Febru Fanny. It's all over. The dream is over. <laughs> we go back to regular service after next week. Yeah. I know you're excited. I mean, we've probably... felt out of control, haven't you? No, I think we've got so many good suggestions. We'll probably be dropping the odd one in, won't we? And crediting people, though. Of course. Pre- right, if okay. we remember. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> if we remember. Yeah. Right, okay. Fine. Uh, 
If you hear us do a pairing that yeah. you feel <laughs> was yours, to you. do let us know. Um, but we won't be taking any more suggestions for this series of Clashboard is in control. But like I said, on Monday, you can email us any pairing you like. Show at Clashboard.com. Pod. Show at Clashboard.com. Telling us the movies that you want Clash, why you want them Clash, and what connects them. And we will do them at some point. Yeah, do wait until next January to do that. That's a great idea, Alex. Anytime you like, just <laughs> pop on the internet. Even now, as you're listening to this, get on there. Start sending those pairings. It's great on there. Yeah. Uh, Vicky's learning Excel and, <laughs> and Chris is thrilled he loves being on Google Docs so uh, so there's a lot going on get in touch right then on Monday I had my declaration of independence day which means today Chris is taking on the church Chris takes on a journey the Da Vinci Code, or as I like to call it, QAnon the movie, concerns a bunch of seemingly intelligent academics following conspiracy theory to its illogical conclusion. Tom Hanks' hair plays the smartest man in the world, while <laughs> Emily plays a clever cryptologist. Though we are only told this, never see it, as Hanks' hair explains stuff to her for the duration. Which is ironic, as the central storyline concerns the sacred feminine. But Vicky will be getting to that in due course. <laughs> Emily and Hank's hair go globetrotting while solving a series of dull puzzles like a $125 million episode of The Krypton Factor. But the programme it most resembles is Who Do You Think You Are? With the moment Emily discovers she's God's great-great-great-great-grandkid, resembling that time Danny Dyer found out it was related to Edward III. Though Dyer's journey was proper naughty and was fun and took 60 minutes while this film takes three bloody days and that's The Da Vinci Code. So when did you first see it, Vicky? I went to the cinema to see it. I was so excited because the of the book was such a phenomenon and I'm really picky about books because, you know, they, they take up so much of your brain and your life and so I'm, I'm really choosy. And I wouldn't normally read a Dan Brown book. I know that's really snobby, but I'll just be honest, I wouldn't. But it was just, it was just, you know, just rolling through the country like a gas. And so I sort of had to do it. And I read it and I was like, I was hooked like everyone else. Thought it was brilliant fun, really silly, brilliant fun. So when the film came out, I was very excited to see it. And I went there and I was bored. <laughs> but, but yeah, I went to the cinema to see it. I wasn't looking forward to seeing it again because it wasn't one of those films that was like, oh, I want to see that bit again. I mean, it feels like it's been a bit forgotten. Yeah. I almost forgot this film existed. On a rewatch, I loved being reminded of the silliness of the, the quest. But mm. yeah, I, I don't know. In terms of watching the, uh, the sparks fly between Amelie and Tom Hanks, no. Alex. Uh, yeah, I never read the book. I was aware. Obviously. I was aware. No, actually, I've read it since then, actually. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I didn't read the book until after I saw the movie. Yeah, I was... Uh, I don't really remember. It's a bit like National Treasure. Both these movies I have seen, and that's that. I read the book, like you, Vicky, when it came out, and yeah, I thought it was a brilliant page turner. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I took quite a lot of it seriously and then afterwards you're thinking oh this is amazing and then afterwards you're like oh and that was all a bunch of bollocks wasn't it but it's fun bollocks it's fun it? bollocks makes you think uh, I went to the press screen Alex I'm surprised you don't remember this if you didn't come did you come no I wasn't doing it at two, what was it 2009 no I, I hadn't started I going it was to the press screens. I 2006 was it that's what I thought oh okay yeah well yeah. I definitely wasn't doing it then I remember the audience laughing at it a lot and, and particularly one line which I will discuss when we get to it and having a lot of disdain for it yeah. like the press seemed to really I don't know hate this one and I thought it was just fine I didn't have that hatred in my heart right let's talk about the film and a bit of background on this one I'm going to do some tangents and sidebars because that's what Robert Langdon likes doing and Dan Brown likes doing and we're going to start with him Mr. Daniel Gerhard Brown 
who's an interesting character when I dug into his past a little bit. Um, Young Brown spent years, hours uh, and years working on anagrams and crossword puzzles when he was a kid. His parents would devise elaborate treasure hunts for them to find birthday and Christmas presents that would send them all over town. Um, So this was in his veins from an early age, but he didn't start writing straight away. He had a music career. Do you know about this? No. Um, He would self-produce synth albums. Wow. His first album was called Synth Animals and included tracks like Happy Frogs and Suzuki Elephants. And no no major label (laughs) wanted that. That surprises me. Um, According to Wikipedia, the music has been compared to Gary Glitters, which doesn't sound very synthy, but fine. (laughs) Um, The the music career didn't end there. In 1994, he released a CD entitled Angels and Demons. Right. You didn't see that coming, did you? No, I didn't. Um, He also, he then got into writing and his first effort was co-writing a book called 187 Men to Avoid, a survival guide for the romantically frustrated woman, which he wrote under the pseudonym Danielle Brown. Oh, no. He's full of surprises. Um, uh, Then he moved on to thrillers and his first three novels, including a book called Angels and Demons, had little success with fewer than 10,000 copies um, sold on each of their first printings. Uh, His fourth book, which was published in 2003, sold 81 million copies. That was The Da Vinci Code. But that was a book that started with a different story uh, entitled Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. Do you know about this book? No. Written by Michael Bajant, Rachel Lee and Henry Lincoln. Remember those names. This is going to become important. It was a history book first published in 1982. And it put forward the following hypothesis that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, had one or more children. Those children and their descendants emigrated to what is now southern France. Once there, they intermarried with the noble families and would eventually become the Merovingian dynasty, whose special claim to the throne of France is championed today by a secret society called the Priory of Sion. They concluded that the legendary Holy Grail is simultaneously the womb of Mary Magdalene and the sacred royal bloodline she gave birth to. Okay. Ring any bells? Yep. So, in a 1982 review of that book for the observer anthony burgess wrote it is typical of my unregenerable soul that i could only see this as a marvelous theme for a novel i think dan brown might have had the same thought as in 2005 bajan and lee sued uh, random house for plagiarism on the grounds that brown's book makes extensive use of their research and that one of the characters <laughs> is named lee one of them is Lee. Oh, yeah. Uh, his last name is Teabing, which is an anagram of Bajant. I was going to say, because it's such a stupid last yes. name. Yes. It's not a real name. And he looks exactly <clears throat> like Henry Lincoln, the third writer. So he was basically taking the piss. How funny. Um, that claim was rejected by the High Court, which ruled that uh, because it was a published as a work of history, yeah. its, premises le- its premise legally could be freely interpreted in any subsequent fictional work without any copyright infringement. Yeah, you don't get to own your history theory, do you? It's in the public domain. So I feel like they made something up, then pretended it was history, and because they claimed it was history, they lost their claim. They should have written a novel. They should have written a novel. So that's uh, the background to the book. On to the film. Um, Ron Howard was interested in doing something on the sacred feminine, he said, because he has three daughters. Oh, that's nice. Uh, But he was concerned about the Da Vinci Code because there was so much respect for the book and the people who loved the book. Indeed, he said when he took the gig, there was more interest and curiosity than anything he'd worked on. But he made The Grinch. Clash favourite The Grinch. Surely there was more interest in that. Um, On the behind the scenes documentary, he also makes it sound like he only took the gig so he could have the Louvre to himself for four nights. Um, He says that being alone with the Mona Lisa was the ultimate. 
which makes me worried about what he was getting up to when <laughs> filming ended. No, in fairness, it's hard to see when you get there. It's disappointing. As for casting, uh, the internet claims that genuine Clash favourite Bill Paxton was first in line to play <gasps> Robert Langdon. All right. Can you see that? Yep, I would have preferred it. Uh, but Ron Howard makes a movie with Tom Hanks every few years. <laughs> so I think that casting was inevitable. <laughs> yeah. And indeed, Hanks read it knowing that Howard was going to direct and he'd probably star. Yeah. So let's talk about the hair, which uh, they decided he should grow out and straighten to give him an academic look. Anyone a fan of Tom Hanks hair in this movie? No. Vicky? No, I'm not. Uh, Ron Howard claims that women instantly really dug it. <laughs> cool. Um. As for the part of Sophie, uh, they say on the behind the scenes, and this was a bit creepy, they spoke to every beautiful actress in France. <laughs> uh, Ron Howard definitely didn't want Audrey Tautou, although uh, the casting agent watched her being interviewed on Charlie Rose, told Ron Howard to watch that. He saw her intelligence. <laughs> we're, getting back to, we're getting into dodgy territory here, aren't we again? Um, had her audition with Tom Hanks, who thought she was ethereal, and she got the role. Yeah. Uh, the only person who Dan Brown had in mind when he wrote the book was John Renault. Right, okay. He wrote that with, uh, he wrote the part of Fash with uh, Jean Renault in mind. So there was a bit of fallout from the release of this book and this film. Um, Jesus believed in forgiveness and turning the other cheek, but his followers were certainly thin-skinned thin when it came to this story. Uh, the film was banned in several countries for blasphemy. There were protests and pickets everywhere. The Vatican called for a boycott of the film. Um, the US Catholic bishops launched a website, jesusdecoded.com, refuting the critical claims in the novel. That's brilliant. <laughs> I think they should do the same with the Bible, because I feel like some of that's a bit far-fetched. Well, yeah. Um, but in terms of that fallout, Tom Hanks told the Evening Standard uh, that those involved with the film always knew there would be a segment of society that would not want this film to be shown. But the story we tell is loaded with all sorts of hooey and fun and kind of scavenger hunt type nonsense. To take any of, of that film at face value, particularly a huge budget motion picture like this, is ridiculous. Uh, he also said, my heritage and that of my wife suggest that our sins have been taken away, not our brains, when asked about the religious aspect of the book. Out of the film, rather. Okay. Ian McKellen said, While I was reading the book, I believed it entirely. Clever Dan Brown twisted my mind convincingly, but when I put it down, I thought, what a load of cod's wallop. <laughs> and as for uh, a description of the film, I nearly used this uh, for my intro. Tom Hanks' description of this film on the behind-the-scenes uh, featurette is, It is intelligent, there are thrills, there is a chase, so it's an intelligent thrill-chase film, but not much romance, but a little bit. <laughs> Not really. Which doesn't really make sense. He kisses her head. <laughs> so should we talk about the film? Yeah. Okay, we've got a prologue. And our curator is being chased through the Louvre by Silas, a monk, <laughs> an albino monk with a dodgy accent. Uh, we establish he's the villain. He's sort of this force of nature. Uh, he says that the curator possesses something that doesn't belong to him, uh, some secret he would die for. The guy gives up the secret, a location in Paris beneath a, beneath a rose in a church, and then he gets shot in the stomach. Uh, the monk is so happy he gets naked and cuts, whips, chastises and self-flagellates himself for the Lord to suffer as Christ suffers. Now, uh, the behind the scenes again here, they said they didn't want to create a monster out of this character. I yeah. think maybe they did. 
Well, because of the albinism. Mm. It just I think it's the book's fault though, isn't it? Because he is in the I can't remember. In the film they do a good job of having, you know, his abusive dad or whoever he say you're a ghost and then his replacement dad say you're an angel. So then that works. But I can't remember if that's in the book. I bet it is. But at the first, my remember my memory of reading the book was like you've taken albinism and just done done a Stephen King kind of thing. Where it's like, oh, you must be evil because mm. you've got this difference. And it's a Bond thing as well, isn't it? By taking a trait like that yeah. and saying that's but an evil the, person. I think the film gets round it by doing this ghost and angel thing. Mm-hmm. The National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation weren't happy though, and they expressed their concern about that character. It was a lot of work for. Um, Paul Bettany, who plays the character, because he's got a very red complexion yeah. with a lot of freckles. So uh, it took hours to make him that pale. And he wears a wig because he couldn't get his hair white enough without burning his scalp. <laughs> and he said the real issue was the footwear because they didn't think a, a psychopath could wear sandals. <laughs> uh, so he tried combat boots, uh, but he looked like a punk rocker, apparently. So he had to figure out how to make sandals seem scary. <laughs> they're scary because they're sandals, not, <laughs> not scary so. sandals. So we've got a seminar now uh, called The Interpretation of Symbols, uh, which is where we meet Robert Langdon, played by Tom Hanks. This is one of my favourite scenes because he's got like a lecture hall full of semi-grown-ups and he's like, but there's more than one meaning to things. And they're like, what? I can't believe that. He is a professor of symbology at Harvard. Yes. <laughs> which isn't a thing. Did you know this? Uh, I can believe that. This is the first tangent I'm going down on. Um yeah, there's no such thing right. as, as professors of symbology. Uh, Slate uh, did some research into it. He could be a professor of sociology or linguistics or mathematics or religion yep. because they're all interested in symbols. Uh, they suggested a professor of religious iconography is yep. what he would be. Um, but I love the New Yorker. They phoned up Harvard and asked why they don't have a professor of symbology. <laughs> and they promptly responded with an email. They said, well, I'm sure Professor Langdon's classes would be filled to overflowing. We haven't considered creating a department of symbology, which must be symbolic of something. Yeah, because it's beneath <laughs> us. Uh, so Langdon gets summoned to the Louvre by Captain Fash, as we said, played by Jean Reno, uh, who says he is a part of the French... Wait, 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 wait. He gets summoned there because he... His uh, second in command, Fash's second in command, turns up at a book signing and proceeds to show him a photograph of a mutilated body with the words, probably don't pass that around. (laughs) He literally goes, look at this. And Robert Langley goes, I can't believe you've fucking given me that here. (laughs) There are people queuing up. I'm signing books and you've given me... That's disgusting. (laughs) It's great. It's a really big swing for the French police. Yeah. Well, it's not, though, is it? Because, as Fash says, uh, I am from the French version of the FBI, (laughs) which is something that no member of the French version of the FBI would actually say. It's one of my favourite bits. (laughs) (laughs) Right, the rest of the film is split up into mysteries. So, mystery one, which I'm calling, why is his cock out? Um, Because before the curator died, he left a a clue on himself. He did. Are you just asking why he took his pants off? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But has he got his pants off? Because there's a very, I mean, he chose where he decided to finally lay his corpse very well because it's right underneath a very well-placed spotlight. Yeah. It, it completely washes out. So he's posed like Da Vinci's Vitruvian man with the pentacle star painted in blood on his chest. So he needed, I mean, he'd made this decision. This is how I'm going to give this clue is mm-hmm. by painting on my chest. Mm-hmm. Didn't need to take the trousers off, 100%. I don't think. We would have known Vitruvian Man if 
pants on. He had his knickers on, yeah. Um, but if he had the time to take his clothes off and paint himself in his own blood and stick clues <laughs> everywhere, couldn't he have sent Langdon a text message? Yeah. He does have his number. Or, or call, call him. for help. <laughs> Just an ambulance, please. He gets a lot done when he's dying. <laughs> or know that writing PS get Landon like is going to give the wrong message of PS. Unbelievable. So uh, the police cryptographer Sophie Nouveau, played by Audrey Tautou, uh, is the curator's daughter, we discover. And she arrives with a message for Langdon to get out of there. There's some stuff with the Fibonacci sequence and an anagram, and it leads them to Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, where uh, the curator has written, So Dark, the Con of Man. Which leads them to the Fleur de Lis, which is the crest of the Sikh society of the Priory of Zion. And this is going to get quite boring if I explain everything, so I won't. But um, this is to do with the protecting the source of God's power on earth, which started with the Crusades and the Knights Templar and the killing of heretics and the surviving knights um, uh, search for their secret artifact began because they'd hidden it, uh, the search for the Holy Grail. So there's a brief car chase through the streets of Paris. (laughs) Do you know what Ron Howard manages to do with this car chase, though? What? Is make it... uh, very clear just how difficult recreating the car chasers from the Bourne identity actually <laughs> are for a director. Mm. And he's, you, you said that he can't do this in, on Monday, but he did some good driving in Rush. Yeah. He just, it just fails, doesn't it, here? Um, some of the most boring action you'll ever see. So Silas has some flashbacks. We meet Bishop Adingarosa, uh, played by Alfred Molina, um, who was sort of his father figure growing up and looked after him when he was being treated badly when he was a kid. And Adingarosa is part of the Opus Day, but we're going to get to that. And Silas is on the trail as well. He starts smashing up a church. He finds a box. He needs a keystone. He kills a nun. <laughs> and we're introduced by phone to the teacher who is somehow putting the strings behind the scenes. So we've got Silas working for Ringo Rosa, who's working for the teacher, and it's all a bit convoluted. It is. It's much easier to grasp, I think, in the book. It's, I don't mind them sort of going, who could the teacher be? But there's one cut which is just so unfair. It's like a cheat. It's like the movie's cheated where Jean Renault mm. is on the phone and then it cuts to someone speaking to the teacher yeah. about the same thing that Jean Renault mm. was actually talking about. And it's like, it's basically going, Jean Renault is the teacher. Yeah. And I think as well, because Silas, Silas is a good baddie in that he is, um, you know, his violence is quite unpredictable. Like he kills a nun. You would you would not be expecting that. But you need him to be running after Tom Hanks, not running after something else, because Tom Hanks is being pursued by Jean Renault, who seems kind of all right, like not too scary. Like he's got an agenda, but he's not as big a deal in terms of baddiness mm. as Silas. Yeah. That's a problem. Agreed. All right, we're on to mystery two. Fabulous Fibonacci. So Langdon and Sophie's key gets them into a building filled with safety deposit boxes. And that's when they use uh, the Fibonacci sequence. But it's ultimately a scene of a woman typing in numbers, which isn't all that cinematic, which is a problem (laughs) over and over again in the film. (laughs) Stuff that's exciting in the book isn't exciting visually. I don't understand why... So they've got, he's written down the Fibonacci numbers and there's a scrambled version and an unscrambled version. And one of them is the account number. And so she says, what should I type in? Scrambled or unscrambled? And he says unscrambled, which means the account number is just the Fibonacci numbers, which seems unlikely. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Right. Okay, good. I think that's right. Is that right? That's what I thought. Um, But anyway, they get inside. There's a box inside. There's a rose on the box and the police show up. So the bank manager hides them in a truck in a particularly uneventful escape. The bank manager? Isn't that Jürgen Prock now? It is, yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. Can you tell me, please, 
what 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 do, is he just a thief? Is he just a guy who goes? I've yeah, do, I, I don't I, know who he's working for. He doesn't appear to be working for anyone. It seems like he's he just sort of goes. I've been waiting for that box to be open because I bet it's worth a bob or two. <laughs> I know he's working for someone, isn't he? It's never it feels you're like never, that, but it doesn't okay. get resolved. Well, I, I yeah. Well, then that's makes no sense. But, it might um, be in the book, but in the film, he just sort of go like all, all we see is your. Um, Jean Renault just sort of go, I'll kill you if you don't tell me. And that's it. Yeah, not good. So uh, Langdon's uh, stressing out a bit in the back of this uh, truck. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We're going to, we're going to, well, we will be getting to that. I think it's, it's not the best uh, bit of writing in this story. Um, they find a cryptex in the box. Um, Alex has explained the cryptex already. Mm. Uh, Sophie tells Langdon they are used to keep secrets, which he probably knows being a professor of symbology. Then she explains how it works, which he probably knows being a professor <laughs> of symbology. There's a lot of that in this film. People explaining stuff to other people who would know that stuff. And then he goes to her something like, you're the first girl I've ever met that knows what a cryptex is or something patronising. But her job is cryptologist. Unbelievable. So she would... I don't know. It was. It's a bit much. He's quite patronised. So they need a code to get the papyrus message inside, but there's 12 million possibilities. There's some head touching while we learn that Sophie's parents died in a car crash. Well, that's the thing, because when you're having a panic attack, I think the best thing to hear is a horrific story about how your whole family died in a car crash. That would calm me right down. Or your whole stupid family, uh, because <laughs> never has a car crash been more likely to happen than if both your parents... Uh, <laughs> Including the, the one driving a staring over the back seat, going, Are you okay, Sophie? While a truck heads towards you on a busy road. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what are they both doing? Yeah, they deserve to die. Uh, so the bank manager double crosses them, but they escape. And we're going to take a break now, but we'll be back with the big revelation. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Have you ever wondered what happened to all those space-age promises that previous generations thought we'd have by now? You know, heading out for the day on your own personal flying cars or working on a space hotel somewhere in the far reaches of our solar system. Where are all those amazing inventions? Well, we're here to find out more on my new podcast, Where's My Jetpack? I'm Sarah Credis, space expert, TV host and author. Join me and Luke Moore every week as we look into retrofuturistic tech that never was to decide whether it's still just science fiction or if some of these discoveries are actually a lot closer than you think. I think we're very close to that happening on an even more regular basis. And what I think is interesting about that, too, is that's going to make the accessibility of getting to space available for more and more people. So if you've ever wondered whether we'll one day speak to aliens light years away or you'll be flying to work on a jetpack, this is the podcast for you. Think of the car parking spaces. They need to be massive. No, the wings can fold up. Well, they don't exist. No, some of the cars um, which were designed had wings which folded up. Are you happy getting in a plane knowing the wings fold up? Yeah. I I trust engineering. Trust the science. Search Where's My Jetpack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. And we're back with Mystery 3, Mary Lives. So they head to see Grail expert Sir Lee Teabing, played by Sir Ian McKellen, which is good casting as he's a knight of the realm who's had issues with the church, playing a knight of the realm who's got issues with the church. I hate this Also, he, uh, he played Gandalf in Lord of the Rings and here... Uh, they pull up at his gates and he goes, unless you answer three questions, you shall not pass. Yeah, very good. Um, and their questions about tea and it's milk and rowing because he's so bloody English. Did you notice later do they, when they get into the house and he's like, more tea, do you want tea? You keep talking about tea. The set dresser has done, he's English, he's obsessed with tea. So there's teapots and saucers and everything everywhere. And on a tea tray, there's also, bearing in mind it's the middle of the night and they've come for tea, a bottle of Heinz ketchup and HP sauce. Because obviously someone's gone, well, that's fucking English as fuck. So I'll stick that on there. They must love that shit with their tea. <laughs> well, just put a bulldog on it. <laughs> Do you want your tea? But just... Put Pina Lager on it. We are good to go. Well, spoiler alert, he's the villain. I think there's two signs that he's the villain. It's the English accent, much yep. like in the film we did on Monday, but also he drinks Earl Grey. You don't like... Don't, no, I don't like... No. Do you like Earl Grey? That's I do like Earl Grey. That's a big swing, Chris. Earl Grey what is it? lovely. Do you don't want this weird perfume? I was going to say, do you think it's perfume? Yeah, <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> Am I, in, I, I I honestly thought it would be three three of us no, eating I, Earl Grey I, then. I do enjoy a cup of Earl Grey. Yeah. Oh, shut up then. I've always got it in the house, Chris. I do not know what I'm talking yeah. about. Do you, uh, do, you, uh, do you like a, a Lapsang Souchon? Mm. I don't know if I've ever had that. Mm. <laughs> Great. I'm not very cultured, it's if I'm honest. Very smoky. Do Tetley make it? 
No. Probably. I don't think so. I think they refuse to because it sounds foreign. Uh, Assam, do you like an Assam? I don't know. Oh. I've, I haven't been eat, drinking tea that long, if I'm honest. Have you? Not? Well, no. you came to tea late. Yeah, quite late. Yeah. That's how, unusual. Sort of how late? Five, ten years. Okay. Really? Yeah. What so about you, coffee? You, still entry level tea then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got yeah. What have uh, you been I mean, having a, oh, <laughs> your whole life? When someone says, should we have a brew? You just go, no. Water. You just... I love water. <laughs> I drink a lot of water. Do you drink hot water, like a cup of hot water? <laughs> no. Okay, no, fair enough. That is weird. <laughs> okay, so if someone says, do you want a hot drink, do you just get hot water? Hot chocolate. Okay. Maybe. That's a big ask for someone, though, because not everyone keeps hot chocolate. No, I rarely ask for it. No, but I'd if someone says, do you want a hot drink? I'll probably say no if you've got water. <laughs> <laughs> Or wine. Have you got wine? <laughs> I'd much rather wine. <laughs> a pot of wine? <laughs> it's 10 in the morning, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got that wine then? <laughs> right, so it's Ian McKellen. Uh, now, sorry, so Lee Teabing now does a PowerPoint presentation, mm. uh, which was apparently Ian McKellen's idea. Was it? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it was his best idea. It's just because he never heard of PowerPoint until this movie. <laughs> look at this tech! What on earth is this? <laughs> which kicks off with the uh, look at the Last Supper, which is a skitoma, in his opinion, which means that the mind sees what it wants to see when it looks at that. I like that word. I'm going to yep. try and remember it. I probably won't. Uh, and this is where we get the symbols for man and woman. Alex, the yeah. phallus and the chalice. Yeah, the phallus and the chalice. Cock and the womb. Mm. The grail being an ancient symbol of womanhood, a woman to Christ's right is Mary Magdalene she's not a sex worker but rather she's Jesus' wife she, they look like mirror images of each other they're joined at the hip creating the shape of the chalice and the phallus and the uterus we, we're explained that basically the church was supposed to be continued by her not Peter and Mary was pregnant at the time of the crucifixion and the revelations keep coming this is great they fled the holy land and came to France and Mary gave birth to a daughter called Sarah uh, which means there could be salvation through sex rather than Jesus Christ. So women are now a direct threat to the power of the Christian church. Do you know what you have to do? Kill, Kill a shit ton of them. <laughs> so this is the sacred feminine. Right. The church decides to cover up the fact that society was matriarchal. They need to suppress that concept. So they connect it with the witch hunts because uh, to f to wipe out free-thinking women. Uh, that's, the, that's the key, free-thinking women. Free-thinking women. Have you got an opinion? No? You're fine, move on. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about loads of... Yeah, kill her! <laughs> yeah, annoyingly, they didn't work. Um, how do you feel about the sacred feminine, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Sorry. Very good. You should have seen it come in. Yeah, no, I did, but I didn't. <laughs> Go on, then. How do you feel about the sacred feminine? I that's a big question, isn't it? I don't what? know. It all sounds... It, it's a fun thing in the book to use as the plot pivot point because it sounds really believable. So it's yes. cool. Like the witch hunts, it's obviously history is not as clean as it like, then they did this and then they did this and then this happened. But in terms of like a, a good beach book and a fun holiday read, and it's a shame that when you translate it to the big screen, it doesn't feel like the romp that it should feel like. Mm. But as a plot point, so much fun, too, super believable. And I don't, you know, I don't, but the thing is, I'm in dodgy water because I don't know much about Christianity or Jesus's origin story don't know or anything much like. about Christianity <laughs> so I've heard of Mary Magdalene and I always believe I didn't ever what are you supposed to believe she was a whore or something it, I don't know Jesus sounded like he was pretty cool about stuff probably he was nice to her <laughs> Jesus sounded like he was cool about stuff. he was chilled out about things <laughs> yeah. he called her his companion yeah which means whore <laughs> 
so I but I whether and I don't believe in God. This is the this is always the problem. God's source of power on earth is nonsense to me. No, oh, agreed, agreed. But so you should pretty much like the idea that this. Yeah, I do. This whole uh, you know biology. Shebang. Yeah. The, what do yeah. you think, Alex? Or just not not want to go there. Yeah, the second one. <laughs> I think it's no. Enough. I'm with. I mean, I don't. For me, this whole thing, the whole theme. This is the moment in the film, within the confines of this film, where I got really excited because this feels like you know, I'm, I, it's, it's where it sort of almost transcended like a, a movie and became one of my History Channel documentaries. I'm like, no, he did what? Yeah, they did this. Yeah, and it's compare this to our Monday movie. And this is so much more interesting. Agreed, agreed. I mean, I I'd like it to be true yeah. that this, that not the the fact that it was wiped out, but that society was like that. I just don't know if I believe it. I feel like women have been trampled on the whole time. Yeah, and so it's a nice thought, but it makes a good plot, as you said. Now, tangent. They didn't include this in the film, but this is in the book, uh, and I really like it. So I'm going to read you a little passage from the book about Walt Disney celebrating the sacred feminine. So this is from The Da Vinci Code. Most of Disney's hidden messages dealt with religion, pagan myth and stories of the subjugated goddess. It was no mistake that Disney retold tales like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, all of which dealt with the incarceration of the sacred feminine. When Langdon had first seen The Little Mermaid, he had actually gasped aloud when he noticed the painting in Ariel's underwater home was none other than the 17th century artist Georges de la Tour's The Pentatent Magdalene, a famous homage to the banished Mary Magdalene. Fitting decor considering the movie turned out to be a 90-minute collage of blatant symbolic references to the lost sanctity of Isis Eve, Pisces the fish goddess and repeatedly Mary Magdalene. Of course, The Little Mermaid's flowing red hair was certainly no coincidence either. <laughs> Fuck this book. So, so I did. Uh, right, it gets better. I did some digging on that front about the Little Mermaid's hair. Okay. In the cartoon, and the red hair, the red hair is no coincidence. I thought they just needed another a new doll that they'd not had with red hair. You're not you're not far off. Um, but it also has nothing to do with the sacred feminine. Here's what Ariel's supervising animator Mark Hen from the movie had to say about that decision. The choice for red hair was definitely a very conscious, deliberate choice. We had just come out with a mermaid picture called Splash and you had a blonde Daryl Hannah. So right away it was like, well, we've got to do something different. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. Although, conspiracy, yeah. splash, uh -huh. directed by Ron Howard, starring uh -huh. Tom Hanks. Oh, my God. It all comes full circle. Everything is linked. Does uh, the character Robert Langdon have kids? No. No, I don't think so, no. What's he doing watching The Little Mermaid? Good question. Is it, does it even say... Grown-ups can watch animated films. Is it, but if he's... What do you suggest? I don't know. I think I'm putting that hair and him on his own in a cinema watching a children's movie. Have you seen The Little Mermaid? No. No, I mean... Oh, it's awesome! <laughs> Isn't the original Little Mermaid, though? It's based on a, a, another Hans Christian Anderson. story and she dies in the end. It's a really miserable ending. Yeah, the, the Hans ending. Christian Anderson fairy tales, very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They but they made it. a movie out of it, didn't they, as well? What? No, they made a sad movie. There's a sad live action version of the original right. story. Yeah, Daryl Hannah's in it. <laughs> uh, right, back to this story. Uh, we're now talking about the greatest cover up in human history. It's a secret the Priory's defended to protect Mary Magdalene's descendants. I do get a bit confused between Priory and Knights. Yes, yeah, the Knights. Yeah, and Silent. 
Inside, yeah, uh, yeah, there's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so Silas attacks and they kick the crap out of him and escape in a jeep through a forest in another desperate attempt to inject some excitement into proceedings. So, it looks great. Like the Land Rover smashing through the trees, bouncing down the track. looks great, but it's sort of there's almost no need for them to be driving that dangerously and they're just doing it. <laughs> yeah, so that's it feels true. like there's a car chase yeah. going on. Because no then you sort of go, them, Exactly. So you're like... It's sort of like half a car chase, it's, it's which art- isn't a chase. It's just a drive. <laughs> You're right. It feels like art- this is the issue. It's artificial action, isn't mm. it? There's no. It doesn't feel like this. It also doesn't feel like there's a proper race against time no. here. They're not racing against anything really, apart from Silas, I think. But anyway, mystery four: Temple Templar. So they're on a plane. Um, uh, with Silas Langdon finds tokens hidden beneath the rose on the box. There's words backwards. They go to London and find a. Templin, they find a Templar knight's tomb in Temple Church. Yes. Sorry, that's quite hard to say. Uh, we find out that Fash is Opus Day and he's charged with stopping the bloodthirsty killer Tom Hanks, which sounds like a much this more is fun the thing. film. He's because he's. I can't remember if this is the point of the film, but at some point he's saying, "Someone called me and said I had to stop this man because he's pure evil." Yeah. And he said, "You cannot imagine the evil deeds I will do." Yeah. Okay, that does sound like something you should stop. But then you met him. He met him. You met him. <laughs> and he, had the and hair. he doesn't look he like a man who is capable of any evil. <laughs> We've said it before, he's very non-threatening, Tom yeah. Hanks, isn't he? There's nothing in that man that makes you think unlimited evil. Danger. <laughs> it makes like the mask of sanity, though. It's like American Psycho, you know. He's pretending. Fash has seen that movie because he says earlier, I liked American Psycho, <laughs> and then, except not in Russian. I'll tell you what, though. Um, it's his, It's because the bishop tells him it in confession. Fash is in confession, in his mm. confession booth, and those things are pretty sacred, I know. And... It's the bishop who tells them you've got to do this. So yeah. it's slightly different. It's not just a call out of the blue by a stranger. It's his bishop. Have you done confession? Yeah. Oh, I've never done it. Are you yeah. Catholic? No. I am. You, you went in. <laughs> you just popped in. Why do you have to be Catholic? I think so. I it was kind of like just like a, a pop in. I don't know. Like, hold on. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Whoever was behind the little curtain. <laughs> Were you in a church? You know, confession. <laughs> it looked a lot like a police station, I'll admit. But I, yeah, absolutely. You, you can't do it in a photo booth. I was pretty sure I was in a confession booth. <laughs> you were in an arcade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But because then, then it, when she put the money in the little <laughs> slot, like you, the curtain pulls back and... Pennies for heaven. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A car. Sorry, yeah. There's a naked woman there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a runway chase between police cars and a plane um, uh, again it's just a rubbish chase because it's like go- the police cars are going really really fast at a plane that's landing and taxiing onto the ground it's going to stop it's, think- it's chasing something that's slowing down and is it Con Air where they which, which film have we done recently with an aeroplane where they land and then they don't or is it the one I love Air it was Force, Air Force One, one yeah. yeah so unless you're going to do that because those are my expectations. Don't bring it into yeah. land at all. Or the other one that week. What's the other one called? Event Executive Horizon. decision. No. <laughs> Executive decision. It's <laughs> um, like a future plane, a spaceship. They get from the plane to the car right in front of the police eyes and the film's really happy with this moment. It's yeah. this sort of, I've written down, now you see me, bollocks. Because it's just a crap reveal that yeah. they, they got out. Uh, yeah. Hang on a sec. He uses a, a, a different filter on it so you know it's kind of special because it's shot with that fuzziness. You're like, oh my God. Oh, the police couldn't it? see it because it was all fuzzy. <laughs> Mystery five. A Pope. Not a Pope. A Pope. Idiots. <laughs> right, right. But before we get there, we got some stuff about Langdon falling in a well. We'll come back to that. Uh, they need to find a tomb with an orb. 
Uh, Silas appears. Some random butler changes sides. Uh, they get away thanks some birds and some nuns. I mean... Yeah, Remy, who's meant to be like this cold-blooded killer, he's like, oh, fuck a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. Uh, Langdon says, I have to get to a library. Fast! That is my favourite line of any oh, film ever. That's the line that got a big laugh in the cinema. It's so and to be amazing. Because I, when I saw it this time, I laughed my head off. <laughs> but I wondered if in 2006 I was like, okay, cool. Because there was no mobile internet or no, whatever. No, the whole cinema was pissing themselves. Does he, does he say, I have to, I need, I need to know. I, I have, have to, get, to or I, have I to need get, to. I have to get to a library. Fast. I love it. And she's like, definitely. Oh, I mean, there's nothing that says sexy chase, <laughs> globe trotting movie than being on the top deck of a bus a in London, London borrowing well. someone's yeah. phone. Gross. You know, I love a bus, but they're rarely the quickest way to get anywhere in London, <laughs> are they? You're, not, you're normally in gridlock. They tend to stop and start a lot. Yeah. They've got their own lane, but there's all, there's just always gridlock. So, it, and also just being on the top deck of a bus, it's not great for your action sequence. But also you've got, you've got a, the world's most recognisable man. Man, basically, <laughs> and you've got charm personified. You've got Amelie. What can we do with them that says mystery, danger, adventure, whatever? Put them on the top deck of the 77. Of no. Go and talk to a bloke, ask to borrow his phone, look up London Knight and Pope <laughs> on quicksolver.net. Quicksolver. And then they're quite clever people. Um, but they are the bloke on the bus has to explain linguistics to them. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah. And she had to seduce him slightly to oh, get that's, him that's so to, awful. to cringe. It's so beneath her. It's beneath you her as an actress. Tell me you had a boyfriend. It's beneath yeah. that character. But anyway, they discover a pope isn't a pope, but rather Alexander Pope. <laughs> uh, crappy clue there, curator. So now they're searching for an all but Westminster Abbey. Uh, Although we're not inside Westminster Abbey, we're actually inside Lincoln Abbey. But the outside is doubling for Westminster Abbey. And that's quite sweet. So they couldn't do anything about the crowds who came to watch Tom Hanks shoot there. Right. So they just went over to them and said, look, and it was pissing it down as well. So they said to them, please put your camera phones away and your cameras away. Please take down your umbrellas and you can be in the film. And everyone was as good as gold. And so they were able to shoot using those crowds as if they were coming and looking at the police. That's nice. Um, so they're inside the Abbey. They notice cane marks in the dust on the floor, which is crap. Um, uh, so Teabing appears because Teabing's there. Teabing's our villain. And he's talking about God's will because, of course, he is the teacher. And it's sort of a bit of a bomb scene, this, where he starts explaining that it's all for the greater good. He says, for 2,000 years, the church has reigned oppression and atrocity upon mankind. The grail quest requires sacrifice. When history is written, murderers are heroes. So mm. he's gone to the dark side, basically. He's gone mad. He's gone Has he? But I don't know. Is there not method in his madness? I mean, I think to be able to go, I, I've killed people, but I'll be remembered as a hero is pretty mad. He, he's, he's saying that proof of Jesus' mortality will end suffering um, so that Jesus can be shown for what he was. Not miraculous, just a man, which is something I agree with. So he wants to ex expose the great con of man, which we talked about at the beginning. Uh, they weirdly slipped this in. The Priory was supposed to reveal the uh, the air at the dawn of the millennium, but they failed in their sacred charge. I would like to have known why. It's like every, the Y2K bug, not real. <laughs> Um, uh, police. The police find Silas, who shoots them and accidentally shoots Eringarosa before being shot dead himself. That's the end of Actually, Silas. It's quite sad. Mm. It's quite affecting. Yeah, because that's a real relationship. Yeah, mm. and it means I can't say Eringarosa anymore because it's quite satisfying. <laughs> well, he survives. It's so my favorite. It's my favorite nursery rhyme. Yeah, it's cruel when Fash goes. Your precious Silas is dead. 
And you, Alfred Molina's face. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sad. That's my boy. But Fash himself then realises Adin Garoza has been, been using him the whole time. So he's yeah. sad as well. Right. Mystery six. Is this the last mystery? Yes. Mystery is, six. Is this a mystery where the Apple. film has now killed off all the villains uh, or yep. arrested all the villains? So there is no one chasing them. So now the final climax at the church of Rosalind is just them visiting a church. Yeah. Good. Good. Pretty good, good. much. Yeah. Right, Was fine. anybody else? This started to annoy me. I, if I can't have a makeover scene, could someone at least just get changed? Because they wear the same clothes oh, the whole time. They don't. Really? Tom Hanks, uh, when he visits the Louvre at the very, very end, has taken off what actually is a passable outfit and put on what apparently is 70s fancy dress. <laughs> He's wearing a suede jacket with giant lapels and either oh, yeah. the most boot-cut trousers you've ever seen <laughs> or flares. He's like, God, oh, it's like... It's that Boogie Nights theme party tonight, so I'll pop by the Louvre first, but I'm yeah. going to have to wear my costume. And there isn't time to do both, so... okay. It, it's, a, it's a thing, though, with, with, with um, Dan Brown books, is they're always 24 hours. Right. He tries to do them in that very short span of time. Okay. But, yes, sorry, Vicky. No, no I just I don't like it. I, I don't like his look. I think uh, Sophie looks like a temp on her first day at some random boring office. It's not. I don't want to look at it the whole time. So we've got the cryptex. We're, we're still in the church at this point and it's Langdon's moment to shine. He's having visions. He's hearing music, maybe. He's seeing planets. He throws the cryptics in the air and it falls and breaks uh, with the map gone. But they do manage to grab T-Bing's gun. And the police burst in and arrest T-Bing. They haven't got any questions for Sophie and Robert, though. No, let them go. <laughs> no problem. Um, and so... Uh... <laughs> well, they think she's a temp on her first day in the yeah. office. You work here, love. Yeah, sorry, we've got to take this guy away. But see you around. <laughs> and we've got this weird scene where they're outside Westminster Abbey and T-Bing shouting the plot to them. Yeah. Which is just not necessary because Hank's within seconds is showing us that he's got the scroll and he protected yeah. the scroll. So I don't know why we need T-Bing explaining this is I feel it like to team... lean into the I didn't see the, I, when he said murderers are heroes I didn't think oh you've gone mad but then you lean into that a bit because he looks unhinged doesn't he it's like oh put the crazy old man in the back of the car and mm. that means that your two heroes can walk away because he's obviously mad and the police won't be like what's this about a secret plot or whatever do you think he looks unhinged I, I mean I thought it was quite a nice man when he realises that he's almost he's proud of Robert for outsmarting him and that's what I think it's there for I think it's because because he really believes, I think because it's Ian McKellen, you kind of don't want to send him off thinking that the scroll is dead and his entire mission's dead, that you want to give him a little bit of hope that his I, mission hasn't been entirely I agree, futile. so he should be, I feel like he should be ranting, you, you broke the scroll, you broke the scroll, and then go, oh, oh, and then sort of smile at him and sort of nod at him, rather than say, you took it out of the thing before it broke. And so it couldn't, it's like, I don't think he would say it, doesn't need to. I think he could just smile at him. The vinegar yeah, right, didn't yeah. go on the papyrus because <laughs> yeah. vinegar destroys papyrus. Because Langdon immediately tells us, Apple, that was the riddle, and he removed the scroll for it, and he shows her the scroll. So I, I just didn't think it was necessary. But anyway. It's sort of, I mean, I know it's his big moment, Langdon's moment, where he works out the code is mm. Apple, and it proves that, because up until this point, he's done really fuck all in the entire movie, and now he gets to prove what a great symbologist he is but it really sort of is weird that you know Sophie doesn't open it like the whole thing has been about this being her knowledge Mm. and she's had been trained for this moment that Mm. her granddad left it for her and that he sort of even knew as he was dying that he had to get it to her and gave her all the information she needed to get into the account and all of that but then when it comes to the crunch it's like no, can't do it. So. They lit, he, a man literally shouts at another man, she can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. She's like, 
I can't. Mm. I just can't. And he's like, I'll do it. I'll yeah. have a big thing over here for five yeah, minutes. Yeah. I'll sort this shit out. For literally less than five minutes, though. He just sort of go, give it here. Done it. Trained oh, for your whole life. Bullshit. Oh, get back to your office, temp. <laughs> <laughs> so we realise the Holy Grail rests beneath starry skies and has gone home <laughs> to Roslyn Chapel in Mythlothian. Is that where that is? Didn't, yeah, it looks very nice. Didn't see that coming. Yeah, no. but it's beautiful. Uh, so they, where is Mythlovian? Scotland. Near yeah. Ed, it's near Edinburgh. Okay. I didn't think this story was going to end in Scotland. No. But uh, they find a pagan symbol over the gate there. Uh, the stars on the ceiling of the script. The fleur, fleur de lis is on the handle to a secret room. There's a single rose down there, but there's no tomb. Who do you think the guy in the church recognises? Does he recognise Robert Langdon as a symbologist, and that's why he's like, oh look, they're here? Or do you think he recognises Sophie from? when he saw her as a child, yeah, maybe? That, that one. I think they're on red alert, though, at this point, because he's part of the... the is it uh, Which group is it? I bloody forgot. Sion. Yeah, he's part of that, and I think they're ready and waiting that something's about to happen. Because right. so, um, it would be weird if all the members of Sion just lived outside Edinburgh. They <laughs> all get there point. pretty yeah. fast. Unless they've all got... We've got to live near the church. Oh, you're right. I really want to live in the Bahamas. You can't go to the Bahamas! <laughs> Not ever. Got to be near the church because she might turn up at any time. So they find records dating back thousands of years. These are the Grail documents. Um, and we get this revelation that her grandfather might not have been her grandfather. She also has a memory of him reenacting Eyes Wide Shot. Yeah. She saw so, a sex party is what it is and those, it freaked her out. Those two bits of information come to too close to each other yes, for, I agree. for me in the script it's like he's not really your dad and he's having sex there and yeah. it's like they're just too close it's yeah. like guy pretends to be girl's grandfather and has sex parties that she sees yeah. uncomfortable yeah it's a sex ritual he's overseeing I think he's a bit in the book I think he's a bit more involved in that sex ritual I mean I think it's oh super... I thought he was the one doing the sex in it was he oh I thought he was just sort of directing that. everyone mm. <laughs> put that there <laughs> like and... no don't it's got to come out. <laughs> and so... Don't, it doesn't don't, count. Don't. Leave it. <laughs> and so Sophie is the secret. Uh, Princess Sophie is the heir. She's the end of the bloodline. She's the last living descendant of Jesus Christ. How do they know she's the last one? And why is she the fucking last one? If you are producing children uh, who are part of Jesus' bloodline, pop a few out yeah. because like, the church is after them. So, you know... Have the odds in your favour. Just keep going. Yes. I don't really want... Oh, fuck it. I've got a responsibility here. Yeah, another one thunk. Another thunk. So she ascends the chair, the stairs, and the, uh, this priory of Sion are all waiting for her. They'll protect her now. These her scary gran- white people will gran- protect yeah. you. <laughs> we- welcome home, child. I-, I got real Rosemary's Baby vibes. Yes. Yeah. It's horrible. Why she's like, lovely. I'll be looked after. Off you, off you pop, Robert. It's like, They're this like is- zombies. They just stood there. Mm. It's terrifying. Yeah, very scary. And also, cult. It's a cult, isn't what, it? Yeah. What, a, what a swizz. It's like, yeah, 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 you're related to Jesus. Oh, we can't prove it, though. So that's, that's, uh, that's it. So you can say you're related to Jesus but, but because the, the the sarcophagus is missing so we can't actually test it so we'll never be able to disprove what the church has done yeah bollocks Sophie the only thing that matters is what you believe um, but th- th- so that's her real grandmother isn't it yeah I think so yeah I mean they dropped the ball there that could be a really beautiful tender moment yeah and it's just creepy no good all right um so yes it, this is all about belief and then we finally get the payoff for claustrophobic Robert Langdon being trapped in the well. Do we? And it's because um, he prayed to Jesus. Oh. He had belief and that's why he survived that. And it's just... It's oh, just... thank God. I'm just happy that there is a reason. Oh. I was like, it appears to be just a, th- a character trait that isn't explored at all, apart from them having a moment where he stops sweating in a van. 
The only thing that matters is what you believe because when he was in that well, he prayed to Jesus, he believed and he survived. It's such a terrible payoff for something that's built up throughout the film. Yeah. And it's a physical thing as well. Yeah, and a, hor- to- a really horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we then get this postscript of Robert Langdon uh, cutting his cheek while shaving and it gives him the idea to follow the line. Uh, he follows the line of blood into the sink, which which sends him to his own book because this is Dan Brown <laughs> writing a Dan Brown book. And um, the bloodline is the rose line. It hides beneath the rose. He follows this rose line through the streets to the Louvre. Um, he kneels over the location of Mary Magdalene's tomb under the Louvre, beneath the pyramid in Versailles, which Grandpa was stationed at all along. And that's the ending that Mary Magdalene is buried under the Louvre. And it's this bigger conspiracy than we could even imagine yeah mm. 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 <laughs> so um this so fil- is he going to tell anyone that it's down there so they they can test and see if she is and it feels like the, the, the whole thing here is about justice and proving that the church is pretty evil killed a lot of women and is still subjugating women to a certain degree right mm. yeah so that seems to be the message oh mm. yeah and now Tom Hanks knows where this is, can prove the scion thing to be true, that Jesus, Mary did give birth to Jesus's child. So, like, that would be the right good thing to do at the end. It's just for the sequel, no? I mean, I don't know. I've not read so the other books. not read any. There's, so I don't know. We never get back to this, I don't think. Yeah, but I mean, he can tell her, can't he? Mm. He can tell her. And then it's up to her, isn't it? Because it's all going to be down to her, really. Sure. Anyway, who I'll put th- it there though? I mean, do you think what did they do? Like they built that and they were the like- architect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, so the Da Vinci Code has twenty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, um, but from a budget of one hundred twenty five million dollars, it made seven hundred sixty million dollars. Did it? This well, was a huge phenomenon, purely based on the popularity of the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing to do with the film. Mm-hmm. But it got two sequels as well. Hmm. Neither of which I can remember, but we both seem to think the second one. Angels better. and Demons yeah. uh, is a lot better. Yeah, uh, Inferno is, in my opinion, unwatchable. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> going to say unwatchable. I it's seem to remember it being um, so bad, real slog, so bad. Which is so insane that you've got these properties and you've opened with your first movie at seven hundred million, and people are like, "Yes, I'm into this," and you just managed to sort of like just churn out. Really, really run-of-the-mill, depressingly average, if not bad, movies. Is the trouble that they're unlike National Treasure? The focus is so much on the words and the history, and not the action. Mm. That it's not a visual. They're not. It's not visual storytelling, mm. and so. But this. But the the weird thing is, you know, when we, you often talk about how a film is uh, too beholden to the book it came from, mm. and here you're just like, well, but. Crazy decisions are made even in this book. So, in the in the in this film, in the book, for example, the the conversation, which is already too long, in the bathroom at the Louvre, where mm. Audrey did is explaining to Tom Hanks all this and that and this, and in the book, you read the bit where he throws the tracking device out of the window and manages to land it in the truck. Why is that not in the movie? Mm. That's an exciting bit where you're like, is he going to make it in the truck? It's like and you just you cut away from them and then cut back. It's already in the fucking truck. Mm. It's like they actively choose to put more dialogue in as opposed to even an iota of action. Yeah. Stupid. Not, not Ron Howard's finest hour. So shall we do the bits and pieces? Sure. 
Alex, favourite scene? Uh, it is the scene with Ian McKellen explaining the image of The Last Supper. Um, it's just, I just was like, this is great. This is, I know I've just said too much talking, but when the talking is good, <laughs> it's great. And this is the part where I was like, oh my God, is that true? Is that real? How did I not notice that? When he's shifting the images around and, I mean, Ian McKellen's face because he's never seen technology like this. It's not, he's not even <laughs> acting. So you're really with him in that moment. It's disrespect. <laughs> uh, that's my favourite scene as well. Is I it mean, really? Is yeah, it? I mean, obviously, it's. I think it's, well, reading around it this week, it was very heavily criticised for sticking a PowerPoint presentation in the middle of a blockbuster. <laughs> but that revelation is genuinely exciting. And so, um, yeah, that's I, I, my favourite scene, uh, that bit is my favourite bit of the book. It's the bit I remember mm. over the years. But the, my favourite bit of the film is not that. It's the opening in the Louvre. It's because it's so weirdly empty as well. There's an old man being chased by Silas and there is no one else around mm. at all with the world's most valuable painting and a collection of very expensive other arts everywhere. So I just like that because it's very, very silly and unrealistic and stupid. And then when he gets shot, I thought that was quite fun. Or Does it not take you out at the moment? Because I'm a huge Paul Bettany fan. Yeah. But that accent is a big swing. I mean, it is, isn't it? I don't I mean, you wouldn't cast it like that now, no. I don't think. I'd, but also, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just, it was a different time. So it's fine, I guess. I do also like Remy. I like Remy a lot. It's a shame that nothing good really happens with Remy. It's because it's action when they're in the church and someone, Tom Hanks, is like, stop it, Remy. You don't have a clear shot. And he says, yes, I do. You're like, oh, fucking hell. Good. I wasn't expecting that. And it wakes you up a little bit. Mm. So maybe that, which is not even a scene. It's like two lines. Uh, back on you, Vicky. MVW, most valuable, whatever. It's Paul Bettany. Okay. Uh, because uh, yeah, obviously the accent is dodgy and making a through line between albinism and evil is not good, but that's the book. Um, I think he's got a. He, Paul Bettany's the actor who's trying to do something with what he's been given, and Silas's story as a character is the most interesting thing, mm. even though. Sophie's Jesus, it's not <laughs> interesting. Silas's path from childhood abuse to surrogate father to murdering his surrogate father very interesting mm. Alex um, not just because I may have offended him by saying he'd never seen a PowerPoint presentation before <laughs> but Ian McKellen uh, he's I mean in anything in everything he's always the best thing and again here uh, he is the best and I know Tom Hanks is great and say it quietly but he's not very good in this uh, at all um, I don't know if it's his fault <laughs> But, like, you know, if Tom Hanks can't make a script work, probably rewrite it. Uh, so Ian McKellen. Nice one. All right, I'm going for Hans Zimmer. Um, I really like the score of this film. I feel like it tells you what kind of film it is before you get to that bit at the end. This this is this grandeur. It feels like, oh, I was listening to A Knight's Tale without really realising. Mm. And, yeah, I think it's a really good bit of scoring. Do you not... I, like I mean, it's not speed. Uh, speed is probably one of the greatest scores <laughs> we've ever talked about on this show. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun yeah. Well, like, it's not as hummable as that. No, exactly. <laughs> Can you hum the score to this? It's good. You're right. You're right. I take it back. It's classic. It's the greatest score classic ever. Don't, don't move. McKellen's vision's based on movement. Uh, if you could change anything, I imagine there's quite a lot here, but um, one thing, Alex. Uh, maybe, quite seriously, do not try and break the world record for the number of double crosses. Uh, fair enough, if they're in the book, and I'm sure they are, uh, I counted 72 separate double crosses. <laughs> 
in this movie. But seriously, like Procno, uh, Double Crossers, Hanks and Tattoo. Um, then Molina, Double Crossers, Jean Reno. And McKellen, Double Crossers, by my count, five people mm. in the course of this movie. He's cheeky. Uh, Silas... Uh, it's chauffeur Hanks to two it's just ridiculous and there's too many double crosses to the point where they just lose their potency by the end you're like okay of course he's not real so you want to change a double cross to a single cross yeah does that that doesn't even work sorry are they double crosses or is it just a twist (laughs) I don't know I was trying to work no there's a lot of them are double crosses they are they were double crosses Vicky so when you get the reveal with the grandma in the church in Roslyn it obviously should be that Sophie's brother also survived the crash, but they were raised apart to spread the risk mm. because they don't want the enemies knowing that two children have been raised together. And so she's reunited with her much-loved and much-missed and same age as her and someone we've seen in the fucking flashback, so we've got a connection with, with her brother. Yeah. So it's that. Or if you're going to hint at a romantic relationship between Sophie and Robert, which they do, they try to do it a bit and then they're like, whoa, this is not working. We will stop that. Make that work. Make her a bit older. Lean into that. Tom Hanks has sex with Jesus. He finds out she's Jesus. He likes it, but she's like, no, I'm Jesus. And so we're breaking up. And so he breaks up with Jesus and he's gutted. Uh, yeah, you know, I talked about blasphemy in this yeah. film. <laughs> you are going way wow. over the edge. Because I believe that Jesus was a, a man. Are you going to argue that because you don't know a lot about religion, ignorance allows you to say that? No, I wouldn't argue that, but I don't know. But I don't if, understand why it's such so upsetting. If Tom Hanks had a baby with Jesus, what would happen? I don't know. I've no idea. Terrible hair. Food for thought. <laughs> Um, uh, my change is uh, I don't think you should say we need to be somewhere fast and then cut to them on the top deck of a bus <laughs> so I think they should take a taxi okay but they haven't got any money have they That's is that not why they're on the bus <laughs> you need money to get on a bus I know you do but I suppose an audience would be like well you can, you can blag your way onto a bus Chris uh, trust me you I've can. never done that well the old route master is very easy yeah. or you can just talk to a bus driver nicely and see what happens but also, <laughs> or not nice. Or talk, talk, because black cab drivers know everything, don't yeah. they? So you could talk your way into oh, one of them. Oh, not the chippy cab scene. <laughs> no. Cast Tom Davis. You know Tom Davis? Yeah, I love him. Cast him <laughs> as the taxi driver, because you need someone that knows about linguistics. He's going to know about bloody linguistics. I would watch him do anything. Exactly. Do so, yes. I think you could have a fun scene there where they're racing along and he's telling them all about linguistics mm. and he's, he's typing stuff into whatever. I think, yeah, nailed it. <laughs> um, uh, that's it. Well done. Good work. Right then, that is The Da Vinci Code done. It's time to see which is our winner this week. National Treasure or The Da Vinci Code. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Uh, it's not, these aren't mine. <laughs> these are mine. I was just <laughs> waiting I'm, for you. I'm not going to say anything no, because I'm not allowed to say anything. No, I knew it was mine. I knew no. I, was just, I was just waiting for the cue. Oh. So you say, <laughs> this is what you do every week. You say these were your choices. To you, but yeah, yeah. what the, blame. the hell? I do that well, because to... you always stay silent. So I've built that into my repertoire where I now go, oh. Vicky, yeah. these were your choices. Oh, I don't do not. it with Chris. Do you not? I just say, 
It's the verdict. Do you really not? And then no, off the back of the... Yeah. I'm so sorry. Right. I really thought that you, no. you did it for everyone. No, I just thought because Chris has been having you a go, a go oh, no, at this. I was, yeah, really, yeah. I was dying And that's why here. he was silent. And I oh, thought wow. you were going to be straight in there this week as a way of going, fuck you, Chris, I know what I'm doing. I, but I, looked, I did know they were mine. But so I only maybe just you should write down everything like I do on a script. <laughs> you know, like write down what I say. I, honestly, I didn't realise, but now that I know that, it will be better after three years. <laughs> do you want to just do it again? Just do it again. It's a little rehearsal for next week. Go on. Uh, right, it is National Treasure versus the Da Vinci Code, and it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. Brilliant. Okay, Vicky, it's <laughs> you want to go first. <laughs> Everyone knew it was coming. I honestly didn't. I guess. <laughs> It's very hard to tell when you're being serious, uh, as we have talked about a lot before. Mm. All right, so these were my choices. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's I, time for the verdict. It's time for wait, I'll do it. It's time. No, for- I did that. <laughs> Come on, people are people are losing the will to live. Right, sorry, Chris, please would you go first with your verdict? Sure. The book of the Da Vinci Code made history feel like fun. The film did not. But it's about uncovering a huge religious conspiracy, which is more interesting than finding a room full of treasure. Um, So I'm a bit conflicted. But as I said on Monday, Nick Cage is having fun and he's having a lot more fun than Tom Hanks. And National Treasure is having a lot more fun than The Da Vinci Code. So that's why I'm voting for National Treasure. Lovely. Would you like to give me your verdict? (laughs) That's weird. It's painful. <laughs> sort of like a Stepford wife kind of thing. Wait, listen, are you do you want to go first or do you want me to? Go it makes first? literally no difference. Great, I'll go then. So it's sort of pretty close, actually. National treasure, like Chris said, is way more fun. But the Da Vinci Code's use of history is way more interesting. Uh, however, uh, one of these features uh, many more embarrassingly bad moments in which you're left wondering what its star thought he was doing when he was handed those scenes to perform, knowing his calibre as an actor. Yeah, if he can't make them work, it's one dumbass script. That movie's The Da Vinci Code. My vote goes for National Treasure. Hooray! Hooray! National Treasure is the winner, Victoria. National Treasure is a stupid film, but it's funny. The Da Vinci Code is a boring film, but you learn something. I watched both of these on trains. So I, what I've done it is, which was I least embarrassed to be caught watching? <laughs> And I was least embarrassed about National Treasure. So National Treasure. Three for three. Another unanimous Three verdict. for three for three. Mm, that's crazy. Right then. Clash Brothers In Control continues into its final week next week. Uh, congratulations to National Treasure, our winner this week. So my clue on Monday for our final Clash Brothers In Control pairing was feeling blue in Italy. Oh, good clue. Great clue. Really good clue. Really this good. is how he gets us. Yeah. Because it's divide and conquer. Just, it's, it's, it's upsetting me now. Right then. Chris, from 1993, you are doing Super Mario Brothers. It's me, Mario. Hey, <laughs> 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 Luigi. Um, so you can watch that on Amazon Prime if you like, and you should. That's your oh, homework. Nice. And uh, Victoria, from 2020, you are doing... Hey, it's me, Sonic the Hedgehog! <laughs> Luigi! You should do the dings, do the ring dings. You can do that. Ding, 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 ding! Brilliant! <laughs> so, you are doing Sonic the Hedgehog, which is available on Netflix! Yay! It's Mario versus Sonic on Clash of the Titles, finishing off Clash Brothers in Control next week with a big, big battle. Sega! 
Oh, Nintendo. <laughs> I can't wait. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where we're at ClashPod. Big week next week, back on Monday, talking Super Mario Brothers. Have a great weekend. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.